Today's episode of the Fast Brackets podcast is brought to you by GetX. GetX features a full line of dial-in markers, burnout guard, and paint protection, and recently has introduced their brand new racetrack-approved hand sanitizer. Find all of the GetX products at your favorite retailer, Jegs, Summit, etc., or see them online at getx.net for your dial-in paint protection and now personal germ protection needs. GetX has you covered. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, where we highlight the cars and stars of top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing. I am your host, Rex Simmermaker, coming to you from the heart of Indianapolis, the racing capital of the world. Welcome to the show. Guys, girls, today is episode number 41. It is the last week of April 2020. Hopefully, I guess. I don't know. Um, All these days in quarantine look the same to me. Um, I'm hopeful that April is ending soon. Um, And I also hope that you and your family are safe. These are extremely challenging times for all of us. So uh, hang in there. But uh, I will tell you this. I am getting very close uh, to being like our guy, Bill Bader, and just saying, let's go. I don't care what you politicians have to say about it. Let's go. Let's get back at it. I mean, let's be honest. The politicians are never right about anything, and they are not here to help you. They're never going to help you. Um, So I say let them do their worst. Uh, There are plenty of places out there that are put you in greater danger than a drag strip. I promise you that. So, uh, you know, I'm ready. I am absolutely ready. But, uh, before we literally have to do like the Beastie Boys did and fight for our right to party, do yourself a favor, subscribe on uh, SoundCloud and then also on iTunes so you are the first uh, to get each new episode of the Fast Brackets podcast. You know that iTunes is that little purple icon. And then if you're an Android user, you can subscribe on the SoundCloud app. Uh, message me directly if you're having a hard time getting that set up. I'm happy to do it. Um, but, guys, girls, we have two unbelievable guests this week. First of all, we have the world champ, David Tatum, with us. Um, that's going to be really exciting. And then also Brian Loans, uh, NHRA announcer, editor-in-chief of Bankshift.com. Really, really excited to have them both with us today. Um, you know, I, I'm just ready to get to it. So let's go ahead and get to it. Get to do whatever you're doing while you listen to the show. Make your commute, clean the shop, work on the old heap, whatever it is, metaphorically speaking, get your helmet on, get strapped in, because here we go. All right, let's make a pass. Let's get them hot. Let's put this thing in the water box. And you know, I know, we've used this segment to talk about the Rona and all its implications. And truthfully, I don't like it. You don't like it. Uh, Seriously, no one likes to continue to harp on this subject, but it is the issue of the day until we get back at it. So 
a lot of thoughts and um, you know hypotheses going on. And in fact, I've I've read uh, a lot of interesting people here as of late. And one of the people I've been reading is Scott Adams. Uh, you guys may know him as the guy who writes the Dilbert cartoons. Uh, yeah, that dude is very smart and an interesting Twitter follow if that if that's your thing. Um, but what he said the other day is kind of what we've been discussing here in recent weeks, which is when we come back, we have a chance to fundamentally change sports for the better. He wasn't talking about drag racing, but it, it is for us um, equally as important. And th- for those sports that do that, um, they will succeed, and those that don't are going to fall behind. Uh, Mark Cuban calls this America 2.0. Uh, this time spent in a cocoon will kind of allow us as a populace to blossom into something better when we come out of it, and we're going to have different needs because we've been cocooned for a while. And certainly technology is going to play a big part of that, and I don't know exactly how this is going to shake out. I don't pretend to know all the answers, but things like potentially allowing an interactive app to, you know, everyone that walks through the gates and maybe gives real-time RPMs, et cetera, or whatever, on the cars that the fans are interested in, um, you know, you would allow those fans to do that. Or maybe the, the ability, uh, if you're watching from home on video, you could have the ability as a fan to change the camera angle. That, I think, is something that is potentially available out there for us. Um, and then also, I think, of course, the ability to gamble – uh, on each race electronically is coming and will be a big part of how any major sporting events move forward in the, in the new world. So I'm curious. I mean, keep sending me those little things that we can do as a sport to improve the experience for everyone as we take these really small steps uh, that could end up being big things to make our world better. Um, it's, so keep sending those. I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you guys have to say. In either event, the world is absolutely wild right now. I mean, every day there's more information coming out, some of it horrifying, and some of it is horrifying because the people that told us they knew what they were doing were completely wrong. Honestly, most petition politicians, I would say, or anyone that we see on TV has spent their entire life either stabbing people in the back or uh, playing political games or doing whatever they can to advance their career instead of actually trying to gain knowledge in whatever it is they're supposed to be talking about. Um, and at that point, then they will do whatever it takes to stay in front of the camera. Um, you know, and so there isn't even the best interest of them to do the right thing. So at this point, uh, nothing is believable anymore. And to top it all off, think about this. The world is so insane right now that the Pentagon came out and admitted that they have videos of UFOs and it wasn't even major news. Um, You know, no worries that they've been telling us for 60 years that there was nothing to see in Area 51 or uh, no, 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 you're a complete kook to think that there are aliens out there. And then one day they just slip it in like it's no big deal. And I'm not a conspiracy theory guy at all. So, you know, I've really not spent much time thinking about aliens i'm not a star trek guy i'm not a star wars guy uh but i did watch a couple of documentaries uh not too long ago one is called unacknowledged and the other one was called i know what i saw and they were two separate documentaries by separate different people 
uh, did their thing, but their facts lined right up. And I think they were both on Netflix. So if you're interested, check that out. But both of them have incredible evidence of alien activity, and it made me a believer, and which is a little bit bizarre even for myself to acknowledge that. So I've been on board before the Pentagon admitted it this week. But let me just say this. Last year at this time, I would have thought it would have been a major story of 2020. I would have bet every dollar I had, uh, you know, like big money, like toter home money, that if you would have said that's the biggest story of 2020, I would believe you. I would have bet on it. This week, it's no big deal. Uh, swept under the rug, no big deal. Wow. Uh, so uh, that being said, I, for one, welcome our new alien overlords, and I wish to fly one of those neat spaceships that uh, they always seem to be flying around at at Mach 12. So please, good alien sir, let me show you around. All right, let's put it in the beams presented by this is bracketracing.com. On with us now is a guy who has won 98 races in his storied career. He's a former Jegs All-Star champion. He's a multi-time Division II champion, and he is your 2010 Supergas World Champion. Welcome to the show, David Tatum. David, how are you today? I'm good, Rex. How are you? I'm fantastic, but I'm a, I'm a little caged up right now. I'll be honest. like it's uh, It's time for me to get back at it. Yeah, I think the whole world is. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the understatement of the year, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's definitely different times we're in. <laughs> There's no doubt. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about racing. Uh, you have had an absolutely tremendous career. Um, can you take us back and tell us how uh, the hook was set and how you started racing? Um. Uh, well, actually, my dad raced when I was uh, before I was born, and then when I was very young, and uh, I used as a, a local track um, just up the road from my house, and I would go up there. I was real little, and I would sit in the tower of one of the brothers that owned it, and he, my dad, drove for the guys and and helped at the racetrack, and uh, I guess the bug was putting me early in life. So, but they quit in like seventy. Uh, 70- uh, I don't know when they quit. I was in third grade, you know, probably 75 or something when they quit. And um, But I always said I was going to do it one day, so I wound up doing it. So when would, when did you uh, first get behind the wheel? Um, after I quit college and started working, and I took my street car and put a different gear in the rear and got a set of U-slicks from a guy and, uh, started running around with David Simmons and going to races to the races with him and and learning and I was basically just running mine in foot brake and that's what I that's when I started that was eighty seven I think and it, so just started in foot brake and progressed from there yeah yeah I, I ran foot brake and at the end of the, that year in eighth of mile I could you know the brake back then was like eight forty nine and I finally got it to where it would run like eight forty seven and <laughs> I remember they had a big $3,000 to win race at Dallas, and uh, I I got it fast enough to get in pro because I was on the bottom, and I wound up winning the race, and yeah, I was really hooked then. So. Right, right. And that's 
kind of what it takes, right? One time you get that win, boy, and it is uh, yeah, it's curtains yeah. from there, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then of course you've had a incredible uh, career since then, and uh, you know where you were the Supergas World Champion in uh, 2010, um, and you know you you've had the highest of highs, I think, from that, and then maybe the lowest and lows because you had your entire operation uh you know stolen from you um yeah how did you bounce back from that yeah that was a tough deal and you know i mean i'm i'm not old but i'm not young anymore and it was i was torn about coming back but i i wasn't done you know and all my friends and family and racer friends you know they they had donations and got up money, had had raffles and, and whatnot. And, I mean, it really helped. It was, you know, I spent way more than that coming back. But it gave me the probably the drive to to do it. And um, I wasn't going to let those guys, the, the bad guys, determine my future or when I quit racing or, or, or whatever you ha- might right. say. Right. It was not going to be their decision. It was going to be my decision. So I, I've decided to come back, and I just busted my butt and did side jobs and sold some old cars and, and worked and uh, got some help here and there and, and and wound up coming back. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, you do it on your terms, not theirs, right? Exactly. And had you um, – uh, done any top sportsman racing prior to uh rebuilding the operation after the theft and everything no i never had um i mean in the early years of bracket race and i started with nhra super street racing and then got into uh super gas and super comp back and forth through the years and um that's all i'd ever done and uh just the year before last um my buddy and road partner sherman adcock we were talking and we help each other. We bounce off each other and help each other uh, continuously at the racetrack. And uh, we just thought, you know, it might be something different. Just a change of pace. And, you know, we're just running the same guy the same way every week. And, right. And that, and that way I, I kind of stay off him. I mean, cause we don't need to run each other and I can help him more. He can help me more, you know, we're in different classes and it was just a change of pace kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I've, um, had this fortune cookie for a long time and and it says a challenge will strengthen your spirit. And I think that's, uh, you know, kind of what it is, right? We, uh, whenever we take on a new challenge, like it's, it's, uh, kind of, we get our energy back with that stuff. Yeah. And it's definitely been a challenge. I've enjoyed it. It's, it's different. It's a learning curve and, um, I guess I'm, still a rookie at, in the top sportsman deal, but I'm learning. I'm still making the same mistakes and just making them bigger. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's part of it, right? Um, yeah, well, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about your, your ride um, that you're competing in right now. It's uh, originally built by Rick Jones. It's a pro stock truck. It was uh, – I had seen this thing the, the year about I saw it in the spring for sale and – then it disappeared, but it had never, never had a wire in it or a hose hose in it. It was, it was a rolling car that had never been finished. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, 
Dave Conley wound up with it. He did some buying and selling and trading, and he wound up with it. He was wanting one, and it wouldn't fit in his trailer or something, and he knew I wanted one. He called me and told me what he had to have for it, and I, I bought it. And then I just let it sit for a year till I could save up and, you know, get parts up and whatnot. But Sure. And so it's a, a Rick Jones truck, and then uh, what do you – what size engine and how do you uh, get it down the track? Uh, it's got a – Jeff Wilkerson did a uh, 582 for me with uh, the Brodex SR20 heads uh-huh. and uh, intake and whatnot. It's, it's Brodex block, every, all that, and uh, Jeff Wilkerson built it. And it's got a Hughes converter and a Sid Neal transmission. Um, and are you, you spraying uh, that at all, David? Yeah, I did. I still, I just got my uh, Stennett throttle stop carburetor on. I never have even changed it. It's just a ten fifty uh, throttle stop carburetor that Stennett did, which it's a good one though. And I, I got the smallest kit uh, induction solution. Steve Johnson did it, and um, Jeffrey Barker is a good friend of mine, and he's, you know, he he has me way ahead of where I would be on my own. So he's been very helpful. Yep. I got the smallest kit, what they send to uh, start your tune. That's all I've ever put in it. Gotcha. So when you we finally get to unload these things, what uh, what type of ET are you looking at? Uh, well, I've already run this year. We ran uh, uh, South Georgia and oh, the Gators right. and the Baby Gators. And uh, it went 706 down there, believe it or not. I don't. It's, it runs a little better than it should, but when the air gets bad, it runs 720s. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay. Um, and I think you can sit up a little bit. I, I was kind of eyeing up one of those myself because you can sit up a little bit uh, more in it. Is that right? You feel that yeah, way? Yeah, yeah. That's one reason I always wanted one was the visibility factor. You can you can see out of them good in the front and over your shoulder. So it, it's pretty good. You do sit up pretty good. And mine sits up more than most of them. The seat does. Okay. Um, but I can see real well out of it. Except for when you put the neck device on. <laughs> right. It makes it a little more challenging. You think you can see out of it when you're sitting in the shop, but you get all the stuff on, you can't move like you think you could. Right. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. Well, that that's kind of what uh, I've always thought about those trucks, but um, I've never actually been down the track in one. So, uh, yeah, that's good Good stuff. Um, well, you mentioned, too, Dave, that you, you know, you spent, you saved, you know, once you bought this, you saved up for it. And before you put it together and went down the track, what do you do for a living that uh, allows you to save up a little bit? Uh, I do auto body repair. Okay. Actually, actually, I had a shop and then sold it and um, wound up going to work for some friends of mine that own Corbett's Collision. So I, they're two brothers and I work for them and they're real easy to work for and and they don't give me any problem when i need to go racing so yeah it works out that's huge right oh yeah yeah but they they used to race they used to round track races so they get it okay yeah it it uh it helps when you've got the bug yourself right you can uh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah that's it so what have you what are you guys doing differently now that you know all this stay in place orders have that you weren't doing before has your job changed that much you're probably uh, always wearing yeah. a mask right yeah well i i don't i don't i should i don't but <laughs> um <laughs> we 
it, we had two shops, and one of them is a regular collision repair shop, and the other one, which is the one I work at, we primarily do rental cars, and it it came to a stop. I mean, they just pretty much parked everything because they went from renting in the Atlanta area, which is a big hub. We were right by the Atlanta airport, and uh, they were, you know, went from like 3,500 cars to rent out on a weekend to 200. So okay. they're less than ten percent. So they pretty much put a stop on everything. But we've been doing uh, stuff we normally wouldn't do. We did. I did it all over. I repaired a Corvette that nobody wanted to fix with aluminum frame and whatnot. And uh, that, we've done a few things like catching up cars that we normally couldn't get to. We've we've done that. So. But we're about out of that, so we're about ready for it to get rolling. Supposedly they're going to open it up first of May, so that'll work out good. Yeah, we need to get some cars back on the road so they can run into each other and give you something yeah, to fix, yeah, right? I'm not, yeah, I've noticed a lot more traffic on the road, so that'll yeah. help us out. It's it's going to happen, right? It's coming along. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, well let's let's talk about the 2020 race season. You mentioned you got out already. Um, what you know what. Walk us through what your plan was or, you know, what your plan was for 2020 before all this stuff happened and how it's changed. Uh, well, Sherman and I are sponsored by Fire Aid. Uh, Ron Thames owns that, and he's, you know, we're pretty much committed to running a a full, not the full NHRA schedule, but a full schedule as far as, you know, like uh, six or eight national events and yep. uh, about that many divisionals and just uh, – you know, enough for the points. I'm really not concerned with chasing points, but, you know, that's the amount of race. We're going to do that. And then, as, of course, Sherman does some bracket racing, too. Sure. But, sure. And then, you know, everything's on hold. So I don't know what what is going to happen. I'm, my plan was to go to the Atlanta Divisional in a couple of weeks, and that's been canceled. And then maybe the Gators, they're supposed to run the Southerns, the portion side of the Southerns at the Gators, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Yeah, it is hard to say, right? And it, um, the NHRA is, I think, is in a tough spot because every state is making their own decisions. So, yeah. you know, before yeah. you do that stuff, you have to check with the governors, and you know, which is just, uh, you know, crazy to me. But, uh, yeah, I don't envy the NHRA schedules right now. Yeah, they're in a tough spot. I, I don't, you know, I don't know how they're going to pull it off exactly, but or, you know, what what it would consist of. I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this: um, You've been doing this a long time. You've been uh, at a lot of races. Obviously, won a lot of races. Ninety-eight races. My goodness, that's that's amazing. Um, is there anything in like your mind that we could do to, you know, just uh, tweak and not? Not like the thing's ruined or anything like that, but just a tweak to make our sport just a little bit better. Oh, uh, we we is being who? Well, I th- I think um, you know it could be a sanctioning body, or even for our classes in top sportsman or top dragster, or just uh, you know in racing in general. I don't. Uh, I think we all just have to do the tweaks, right? With everything that we do, we're all trying to get just a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I think. You know, as far as sanctioning bodies, probably a little more respect for the sportsman side of it. And the, one of the biggest things to me would be money. Uh, the payout is terrible. 
and not nearly as many manufacturers are involved as there used to be. And, and I know that's not NHRA's fault, but uh, it really it really happened in 07, 08 when we had the housing boom and all that, and that seemed to be the time when a lot of them disappeared. But yeah. uh, as far as like a national event, I mean, 20 years ago you could win – Fifteen to seventeen thousand, and now you can win nine thousand. Yeah, and it hasn't so, gotten cheaper, right? It hasn't gotten cheaper to no, run. Yeah, it's, it's more expensive than ever to get there and to enter. And you know, you're—I forget what it is—three hundred something dollars to enter a race now, so a national, right? And for nine grand, so I won Indy in '03, and it paid nineteen five. So that's the difference you're looking at. Yeah. Um. And, and, and I don't know. It, it, the participation seems to be down, but and they also limit the fields, so that that hurts it too. Right. Yeah. It's um, that's not an easy uh, fix, right? And I, um, I don't know if any of us has just the the magic wand, but you're right. That is a that's a big part of it. And if uh, if we could get that back, then you know it would it would certainly motivate a lot of us to get the rigs out and go to work, right? Oh yeah, and I, mean, I think just the check from it from uh, the race itself should be more. You know, it's like eighteen hundred now, but you know, you pay three hundred to enter, you ought to be at least getting five grand or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you go to any yeah. bracket, you can bracket race anywhere this on any given weekend for less than that. Yeah, I. I but totally I, I know agree. they got a lot more stuff, to, a whole lot bigger show to put on too. So there's a lot more involved. But yep, yeah, there's no doubt. Well, David, I I appreciate you coming on. You were absolutely fantastic, um, and we would love to have you on again at some point. But uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to ban you from the show until okay. you win a hundred races. And when you win a hundred, then you can come back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I just I keep getting close. I just keep screwing it up. But. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get, we'll get there. I I absolutely know you will, and I cannot wait to have you back on uh, when uh, when you get that done. But uh, guys, girls, that was the great David Tatum. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Rex. It's, it's been a pleasure. Today's half track report is brought to you by DragRaceLawyer.com. Guys, girls, once again, this segment is cut brutally short. Uh, there are no races to bring you the results from, so uh, it's it's difficult to do a race report when there aren't any races out there. Um, it is absolutely just the worst. Um, now, I will say that there are some tracks around the country opening up for local events, the, mostly some bracket racing and some test and tune. Check your local listings. Uh, This is certainly a state-by-state and, in some cases, a city-by-city mandate. But um, the one thing I will say about all this is I really hope this does not push people back to the streets. Um, I've seen a little bit of that, a little bit more street racing than uh, than normal. Obviously, the street outlaws, uh, you know, those guys are probably fine with it. Um, But it, it doesn't really sit well with me. I mean, not that... We all haven't used the public roadways as our personal quarter-mile testing strip before, but 
assuming that the drag strips uh, are all shut down much longer, I just don't want us to revert back to the streets to the point that uh, we give the whole sport a black eye, which is what everybody will try to spin it as. So um, that being said, it looks like the Midwest Pro Mod Series is still having their event um, as of this recording, it is still on. That is May 8th and 9th. That is the throwdown in T-Town from Osage Casino Hotel at Tulsa Motorsports Park. So if you want to race top sportsman or top dragster in the month of May, you better get to Tulsa next weekend. Um, yeah, I hope uh, if your stuff is ready and you are ready to get going, uh, go out and support those guys, and good luck to everyone involved there. I know they've got some different procedures uh, to keep everybody safe, and I hope everybody does. Um, so Midwest Pro Mod Series is on in Tulsa. The PDRA uh, pulled back their event, and I think they have a little stricter uh, policies to work through in Virginia. So their Mid-Atlantic show, showdown at Virginia Motorsports Park has canceled. And then the NHRA has come back and postponed all races in May on the divisional schedule. So we hope, we are crossing our fingers, and we are really hopeful that um, we can get back to it in June, uh, you know, so that we can we can have a little better segment on this one anyway. But uh, we will update you when and if we hear any good news on the scheduling front. Whoa, let's get out of the groove for just one second and bring on my man, uh, voice of the NHRA, editor at bangshift.com and host of one of my new favorite podcasts, The Dork Omatic. Uh, welcome to the show, Brian Loans. Brian, how are you today, man? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's really cool. I'm, I listen to the show, so it's, uh, it's a neat deal to be on this thing. So thank you for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, um, you know, you have been uh, you've got, you've got an interesting perspective on all this stuff. So I'm I'm excited to have you with us today. But uh, you've been involved with drag racing for a long time, and um, had some great seats to some of the incredible history that's taken place on a, a drag strip. But uh, how did you get hooked on the sport? How did you get into this stuff? I uh, you know, like a lot of people, grew up with a with a dad who loved cars and loved hot rods and, and was a racer himself. And so we were always, you know, watching it on TV. We were always following it. And uh, you know, I was like one of those kids that asked for all the Diamond P videos every Christmas. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had the VHS. Right. That's how old I am. I have VHS tapes. Um, <laughs> so that really, that's what you know spurred my interest. And it was you know read all the magazines and that type of stuff. And it's like anything, man. I just, I loved learning about drag racing and I loved just kind of understanding the sport and how big it was. You know, I only knew it from television as a kid. And then all of a sudden you read the magazines and you're reading about stuff like this top sportsman class that IHRA has, and that would later become pro modified. So for me, it was just a, a progression as I got older and more interested in cars and stuff like that. I just fell deeper and deeper in love with drag racing. Yeah. And then, uh, you, you've uh finagled your way into like a great setup there i mean and you do an unbelievable job and truthfully you're probably more busy right now i guess um than you normally are you i mean walk us through all the things you're doing right now uh for content for draggers yeah. it's amazing yeah for content stuff right now it's uh you know with nhra we produce um you know a bunch of stuff each week in terms of a kind of a weekly weekly news update and then we do some skype interviews with drivers um we do several of those all week and we do some different live content as well. So we're working on that. 
Um, I produce content every day for Bankshift.com, which I've done since we started that uh, deal in 2008. Yep. And it uh, kind of goes on from there. The Dorkamoto podcast, um, you know, it's, it's always something which is, you know, I'm thankful for being able to be busy. And I'm doing these loans calls, life things for a bunch of people now, too, where people are sending me kind of videos of their everyday life. And I'm uh, announcing them as if they were a race. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yes. That's been fun as well. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, just trying to just trying to ride it out like everybody else. That Yeah, it's it's really great stuff. And, um, you know, really interesting to me how how we've all kind of just figured out how to cope with this stuff. Because it's not our normal, but we are figuring out how to cope it uh, with it. You know, it's uh, it's interesting for me how people deal with this stuff. Yeah, no, it's a fact, and I think you know anybody involved in drag racing, whether you're a racer or you're a wrench or you're an engine builder, or you you know, typically this is a, a sport of people that do stuff right. So when you're in a situation where you can't do the normal things. Um, people who are by nature doers, I think, find find ways to to keep themselves occupied. I always like to say that there's nothing more dangerous than a drag racer with time on his hands. So thankfully, <laughs> it seems like people are right. people are in, in any way possible. People are, people are filling the time. Yeah, there's that's that's a great saying because it's so true. Um, well, uh, I've I've uh, been listening to a lot of your dorkomatic dorkomatic podcasts. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that originated and and how you even come up with a uh the topics because they're they're awesome yeah that came up um that came up honestly through through my instagram page and uh, my instagram is at brian loans and my instagram was all just historic car racing heavy equipment locomotive stuff like i don't really post anything about me it's um i make usually one post a day and it has to do with history and i try to give as much history of the photo as i can in instagram and you know, people were saying like, oh, this is a cool story, but I bet there's a lot more to it. And it would be cool if you did a podcast. And um, I started doing the oh, another thing that I'm doing on a weekly basis is the NHRA Insider Podcast. So yeah. yes. um, once I started doing that and, and kind of learned my way through how to make stuff, um, I thought this was kind of a natural way to do it. So the Dorkamoto Show is really, um, it is a deep dive into history, whether we're talking about like a single event or a single person or um, you know, in this case, uh, my last episode that just came out Monday was about Art Arfons, the famous drag racer and land speed racer. And it's kind of a deep dive into his life. And um, I had Humpy Wheeler on the show. You know, it's like I try to bring on guests that are compelling and try to tell stories that maybe people don't know. And, you know, Instagram is, is a younger demographic. And I think it's super cool to be able to do this in a medium where kids are actually watching or listening to this stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of people that comment, young people that say, I never knew this guy existed, or I wrote a book report about this guy one time, but I had no idea how cool he was. So to me, right. that's like the great reward. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Um, and what I um, just is on top of my head as I listened to one the other day, and it was talking about, I think the one, the episode when you were talking about the last front engine top fuel oh, sure. director. Yeah. And it just, it kind of stuck out at me because I think the ETs were like high to mid sixes. And well, they wouldn't even qualify in a division three top sportsman. Race right. Race <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wouldn't even qualify. Yeah. Right. And it, uh, it just was that, that seemed amazing to me that they wouldn't make a top sportsman or top dragster field now uh, that, you know, but certainly technology and all that stuff, but it is great information. And um, I, I really enjoy it. And I would, say all our our listeners should too um thank you and say and they can follow you on instagram and then twitter right what are those handles yeah so instagram is just uh at brian loans uh much my name l-o-h-n-e-s 
and um, Twitter is at the Wallens, T H E L O H N E S. And okay. so, uh, yeah, I I try to just like my Instagram is pretty much just like a one post a day deal, and Twitter is you know like everything else with Twitter, just whatever kind of floats across your brain when you feel like needing to say it. <laughs> yes, it's really good and really bad, right? Oh boy, yeah, it spans, and within like six seconds, you can see like the best thing you've seen and the worst thing you've seen, no matter what. It's awesome. <laughs> there is absolutely no doubt. Um, no, no doubt. Um, well, in um, going back to, to the, you know, your early days with IHRA, I mean, you saw sure. the beginnings of the, of these classes that we, you know, seen the evolution of today when top sportsman and top dragster. Um, it, did you think like when you were first uh, seeing top sportsman, top dragster classes, like, did you have any inkling that this is where it was going to go to? I really didn't. And, you know, I, I knew that I loved that stuff. And I knew that, you know, Top Sportsman specifically to start with, just because that's where, you know, Pro Modified was born from Top Sportsman. And ultimately, um, IHRA created a kind of an outlaw top dragster category uh, in the in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Pro Top Outlaw category that I was part of IHRA during that time. And it was almost the same thing. It was kind of going to be Pro Mod for dragsters. And it never really got out of the gate the way Pro Modified did. But um, you know, when I was with IHRA, this is now like the early, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, those categories had been around for a while, but we started to see about that time, like what they might turn into. And, you know, it, it was an eye opener for me to go when I did my first ever national event for IHRA, it was at Rockingham. And I think there were, I want to say there were 60 or 70 cars in both top sportsmen and top dragster. And they were nowhere near as fast as they are now, but, it was just amazing. I That's mean, a it lot was of like, cars. Yeah. Oh, it was, yeah, it was astonishing. And the stuff was fast and it was consistent. And these are guys that I'd read about in the magazines and stuff. And, you know, for NHRA, it was a long road to get this class in terms of national event competition and a national championship. And in my opinion, it was way too long a road. But the fact that, you know, people like Nick Smallridge up in Division One that was really instrumental in starting to push this thing ahead and getting it run as a divisional category and then picked up down the line. You know, guys like him, you can't really overstate what they did because without without their persistence and without their approach, I feel like we would be missing what has become a really, really big and fun part of NHRA drag racing. And, you know, outside of Cop Eliminator, there's not a class or classes, top drags or top sportsmen that you can see the different machinery and especially the different engine combinations. Cause you know, yeah, you got nitrous engines, turbocharged stuff, centrifugal blowers, roots blowers, screw blower. I mean, you name it. It is the ultimate kind of throwdown class now for big horsepower a- engines. And yes, it is a dial in style class, but give me a break. If you're going to complain about watching guys running the 16s and 620s <laughs> with a dial on the window, like go find another hobby. You know what I mean? Right. It is. It is really amazing to me the the speeds and the consistency that we're seeing out of you know turbochargers and and blowers now that I don't think people ever thought we'd be able to do it that consistently. No, that's a hundred percent fact. And and you know we talked about that. You know the nineteen seventy two top fuel guys making the you know the last ever front engine uh, top fuel car to win a national event and the ETs they were running and you know the. the those cars are so incredibly inconsistent at the time, almost as inconsistent as a top field car is now, but it's, it, it wasn't like these guys were going out there making five, six, seven runs within a tenth of each other, which is, you know, guys, real good guys out there now are making five, six, seven runs within half a tenth of each other in top dragster right. on a given weekend. So and the one thing I love also about top dragster is that 
and, and Josh Forsman, I, I speak of both equally, is that it's like the place where any power average combination can still win, and there needs to be no sort of, you know, rules town rules town foolery to keep everybody on the same page. Like Andy Wilkins wins with a nitrous combination last yep. year because he's a great nitrous tuner, and that's what he knows and loves. And we've seen guys win multiple bunches of events with centrifugal blowers now and roots blowers. So the fact you can, and even naturally aspirated cars, look at Greg Laird, right? right. Greg Laird's got that, that beastly 900-inch motor in his car, and he's got a stick behind it. And, you know, he's won out of Denver a couple times. So there's still some magic in that to me where it's not just you have this one or two options that are going to be competitive and you're not competitive with other stuff. So, you know, to me that's still the magic of top sportsmen combined with the fact that there's just such a wide variety of stuff to watch compete. Yeah, I you know, I think um these classes not only are they awesome to watch, but from a sanctioning body standpoint, they've got to be pretty good because you don't have to mess with it a lot like you said, right? Like I mean with comp you probably got to be dealing with that all the time and certainly with pro mod they're always changing something to try to keep parity and you know, you just don't have to do that with our classes. So um, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the 610 rule that was put in, um, that I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with, you know, honestly, it, it's two sides of the same coin. One is I'm not a huge fan of it because I love seeing guys running in the 590s. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, but at the same time, I do, you know, and I'm not just saying this because I work with NHRA, but I, I'm saying it because if you have a historical perspective on things, if you don't do something like that, within a couple of years, the thing is just going to price itself into oblivion and you're going to have a problem because you're going to need that car that's capable of running 620 to even think of qualifying, you know, even making a field, let alone, you know, being consistent and competitive. So, you know, to me, I think the 610 thing has its merit in terms of maintaining a class that, and it's an expensive category to run, both of them top dragster and top sportsman are, but it, it kept it from going completely off into the wilderness in terms of what people were willing to do and spend um, on these cars, which I think is an important thing. Yeah, well, it goes back to your statement earlier about leaving drag racers to their own devices, yeah. right? which is yeah. Yeah. not always a good idea. <laughs> no, and it's, and it's interesting. We can look at some classes that that happened to. We can look at Outlaw 10.5 style racing in the, in the, in the small tire world uh-huh. and uh, Extreme 10.5, which is, which is an astonishing class to look at the history of because it really was one of the few examples in modern drag racing where it was just boys do whatever you want to show up with that size tire on the back. And it was really cool for a couple of years, but the thing completely flamed out. The same could kind of be said about pro extreme and the, um, you know, that's been through the ADRL, the TDRA and stuff. It just, it just ends up costing so much money to go so quick that you look around one day and there's only two guys left that want to do it. And that's no way to, that's no way to have a class. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. Um, well, Hey, I, I've been asking kind of all our, our guests here of late, just, is there one thing that you think, uh, and I think you've actually kind of done it just as well as anybody has, which is adding all these, uh, you know, different, uh, slivers of information with your insider podcast and and uh, you know your driver interviews and stuff, and you've made it more. I don't know if interactive is the right word, but you've pushed out more content than everybody. Is there um, besides that? Is there anything that you think like uh, if drag racing just made a kind of a little bit of a change, it would it would help the cause overall? You know, it's um, to me, it's always like, and, and I actually uh, for the NHRA Insider Show this week, I, I had. Um, 
Luke Bogacki on. I was talking to him yesterday about stuff. And and to answer your question, I will kind of go off the, off the reservation a little bit here. But Perfect. you know, we look we look at we look at what's going on with the NASCAR iRacing scene over the last several weeks on on FS1 and. Yep. How like one last weekend it was 1.27 million people watched, which is the second biggest audience they've had. 1.31 was the biggest. Amazing. And the point there to me isn't oh, we don't have a video game. The point there is the reason 1.3 million people are watching is because it's the people that they're trying to watch. They don't care. Like there's physically nothing. There is no physical connection to this world with what they're doing. That the cars are electronic. They're you know, it's uh, electrons on your television screen. Right. So why are 1.3 million people interested? And they're interested because of the personalities and the people involved. And so for me, it's it's what we need to go back to and it's what we need to keep can kind of pounding on is that this is a this is a visual and audio overload style sport. And that's one way to get people in the gate. And it's a way to give them a great show. But the way you keep people engaged in the seats, the way you keep people paying attention is by the personalities. And we can look back to IHRA during Scotty Cannon's rise to, to you know, fame and fortune and all the stuff that was going on back in the in that era of top sportsmen. And this is, again, this is the name of the category, you know, it's sportsman. It is a sportsman category. Right. But IHRA looked at what Scotty Cannon was and they figured out what he could be. And they started promoting the hell out of him. And this is a category and two categories in NHRA drag racing that are filled with very unique personalities, filled with people that are compelling stories and filled with people that I think we really need to start and continue. We do somewhat, but not near good enough job of highlighting their stories. So competitively, I don't think there needs to be a lot of change made. I think the approach of how these classes are promoted and how our sport in general is promoted needs to continue to move towards the personalities and people. And the second half of that is, that the only way that change works is if the personalities and the people are willing to participate. Like, yep. you know, I'm not a huge fan of seeing two drivers get out of their cars at the top end and throw their arms around each other. I hate that. Right. You know, because right. I feel like if you're a fan in the stands and you're rooting for driver X and you're invested in watching this person win and they get out of the car and throw their arms around the person that just kicked their ass, you're like, oh, maybe it's weird that I care this much. Maybe I shouldn't care this much because right. really that person might not care as much as I do because it doesn't really bother them that they just got whipped. So, you know, I, I just think that um, we can do so much as far as promoting people's personalities and who they are and why they're interesting, but it also needs to be honesty and people need to say something worth listening to. Right. You know, and that goes for, for anybody and everybody. I read a lot of great interviews, drag illustrated, whether it's drag illustrated, national drags or competition plus, whatever you want to, whatever media outlet you want to put on drag racing, your show right here. And I'm always, there are a few people that stand out in drag racing because they're willing to say stuff and not necessarily the stuff that anybody wants to hear, but it's the stuff that's honest and it's real. And that's why people gravitate toward him, you know, and that goes back to Scotty Cannon. He, he would say what was on his mind, whether the IHRA liked it or not, or whether his competitors liked it or not. And that's what made me tear into every magazine I got every month to read about what he had done or said that particular last couple of weeks. No, that is, that is so true. Um, and, you know, I've been watching this uh, thing on Michael Jordan, right? The last dance that's been yeah. come out. And I guess I to put your finger, finger on it like you just did, he hated everybody else. And um, that was trying to stop him. And I love that about him. 
Like I loved the fact that he wanted to destroy them, everybody that was in his way. And um, you know, I don't, I don't always love the the new world LeBron James where you know he he hugs everybody and you know they all go out to dinner afterwards. And it, it's, yeah, it's, it's exactly it, your point. Yeah, it's, it is. You know, this is a sport of one on one confrontation. Like there is no other motorsport when you're on a when you're in an Indy car race or a stock car race or a World of Outlaws event. There's 10, 15, 20, 30 other people on the racetrack with you. And yes, you may be having an individual battle at one point during that race, but ultimately the camera spins around and looks at somebody else and talks about something else. In drag racing, that's it. It is a spotlight on two people trying to beat up on each other in front of a crowd of people right there. And when we remove the competitive element of this, or when we remove this idea that you know, everybody has to be chums and everybody has to, at least publicly, because they're not, trust me, you know this as well as I do. Oh, like, for sure. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, you know, not everybody likes each other. Breaking news, America. Right, <laughs> right. right. So, yeah. so why is it Why is it a, a shameful thing? Why is it a negative thing to say that? And I don't mean, like, you know, hit somebody over the head with a chair like you're at a wrestling match, but I don't think there's any shame. Like, Al Hoffman back in the day had no problem looking at the camera going, I don't like John Force. He's the opposite of everything that I am. And I want to beat him worse than I want to beat everybody else. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with saying that, you know? No, it's a, that's a great point. And, um, you know, like I said, we don't, we don't want to get uh, where it comes to blows, but uh, the competition level, man, when that ramps up, it's better for everybody. It absolutely is. And it makes it, it makes it a very intense thing to watch and make for our, you know, for a guy like me who does what I do for a living, it makes it a lot of fun to tell the story. And, you know, when we go to that radial outlaw grudge style part of drag racing, it's built on that, you know, it's built yeah. on, yeah. it's built on people, John, a little bit. It's built on people calling each other out. It's built on that idea of conflict and confrontation. Like you said, it's not built on fist fighting. That's I'm, I'm not, arguing that that's a good thing. But I, I would also say that anybody that lost their mind when, when Steve Torres pushed Cameron Foray can never claim to be a fan of Ed McCulloch because he beat up everybody <laughs> back in the day. That's another, that's another story for another day. Um, but that's why that's, people are like, why is this Street Outlaw stuff so popular? Why is this capturing people's attention? Well, because it's the people. That's and right. there's an emotional investment there. It is not rocket science, you know? Yeah. No, and you're doing an absolutely great job of highlighting the people in this thing. So I'm going to let you go and get back at it because I know you've you've probably got uh, four podcasts to record and uh, some videos. And I mean, you're you're just saying so busy um, and it's all fantastic. So I, I appreciate you spending a little bit of time with us here today. No, man, I appreciate being on. I love the show and I love what you're doing to promote what is uh, undoubtedly like two of the most exciting, fast growing and and evolving parts of drag racing that are really fun to watch now. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, hearing the rest of the show. Yeah. Uh, guys, girls, uh, if you need them, Brian loans. Okay. As we hit the mile per hour cone today, I have to talk about electric cars. I don't want to talk about these overgrown battery packs, but I guess I have to since Ford introduced their e-Mustang last week and are parading it around to anyone who will look at it. Um, I admit it, I'm a little curious. I mean, Ford says it has 1,400 horsepower, and that is okay in my book. Uh, that being said, 
Does that make good drag racing? I'm not sure. I think maybe these things would be good on the road course because they have plenty of torque and that still allows the driver to have plenty of input in the outcome of a race. But in drag racing, to me, it seems a little unnatural. Uh, First of all, because there isn't any sound and the engine's roaring is part of the beauty of the drag strip. I mean, you heard Alan Reinhardt on the show last episode tell you that he was drawn to the sound first. Uh, And if we take that away, I don't love it. Uh, Additionally, um, what I understand is that the only tuning tool is how much voltage the battery pack has, you know, so as long as it's completely charged up, I would expect to have identical passes each and every time out, no matter what the weather station told me, Um, you know, and they have a place I'm sure. And some of you are probably very excited about all the opportunities that these new electric cars have to offer but you would be wrong uh you're allowed your opinion but it's wrong um and i'm sorry to big daddy um i understand it is sacrilege to go against the goat but i can't co-sign on all this i or any of it to be fair um you know we all have a buddy um who bought a prius uh to try to save the earth because he thought we were running out of oil a couple years ago um And now they can't find enough space to hold all the oil. So I believe the death of the internal combustion engine is largely overblown, uh, especially in a world where we can crank up uh, four-cylinder twin turbos with 10-speed automatics. Um, And until they can make a cell phone battery last throughout a day of conference calls, I think I will keep hauling my rear end to the local gas station and fill up on that sweet, sweet, cheap fuel that is out there. And don't get at me with, uh, but Rex, Chevy did it first. I get it. They were wrong then, and Ford is wrong now. Please, Dodge, do the right thing and let this silent killer die. We are going to uh, get into the electric car versus the internal combustion engine pollution debate in another episode. So uh, get in if you have an opinion on this. But I don't think the tree huggers will be happy when I get through with them. All right, let's bring it back in. Let's take a peek in the other lane. Let's make the decision. Yep, let's take the stripe. Guys, girls, that is today's show. It is time to pull the shoots on episode number 41. There it is. You hear it. We got the wind light. Gloria's playing. Man, again, when I hear that, it reminds me we need to celebrate each and every win in life. Uh, Every single one. I mean, tomorrow's promise to no one. So go tell someone you love them. Go do what lights your hair on fire. Go race where you want to race. We don't know when the last day could be. We got to go do it while we can. Um, Special thanks today for our guests who came on. First of all, David Tatum, the world champ. He was fantastic uh, as he chases 100 wins in his career. That's amazing. And then Brian Loans, uh, NHRA commentator and host of the dork emotive podcast it's unbelievable so thank you for those guys they were great please like and share the facebook and twitter pages for me if you don't mind make some comments that would really be helpful i hope you enjoyed it keep the rubber side down and travel safe
Hey man, so you uh you're a banker guy, right? Absolutely. That money free? Free money? Uh that's kind of how they're touting it. You've got an account for it. So we're advising all our clients to account for every dime so that the IRS and the SBA don't come back and want their money later, but uh yeah, as of today it's free. So if I come to you and I'm like I need some free money. Take care of that? Well, they're out of cash right now, so you're a little late to the party. Um, but let's hope the government does the right thing and and cranks the uh, the money machine back up for everybody.